Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Football Writers Podcast featuring me, Mike Calvin, Adrian Clark, the tactical analyst, and making a welcome return, Tony Hodson of The Coach's Voice. It's one of the milestone matches of the season, a repeat of the Champions League final at the end of May. Manchester City have a lot to prove at Stamford Bridge. Chelsea, by contrast, are flying. A lot of the focus will be on the two managers. Comparisons will be made, reputations reinforced. Tony, you spend a lot of time with elite coaches. Has Thomas Tuchel got inside Pep Guardiola's head. Morning, Mike, first of all. Thanks for having me back. <laughs> I think to get into Pep Guardiola's head, you've got to push Pep Guardiola out of his own head. And I, I'm not sure I'm not sure anyone can do that. I think definitely on the on the evidence of what we saw last season, if anyone's got inside Pep's head, it's too cool. Chelsea were beaten three times, of course, under Tuchel, once in the league, once in the, once in the FA Cup, and then again in the Champions League. And actually, I think the Champions League games was the most decisive of the three. And again, at the time, everyone looked at the, the selection that Pep made without Rodri or Fernandinho. And if you look at the first game they played under Tuchel, Rodri and Fernandinho both played. If you look at the second game, Rodri played. And everyone's like, well, why wouldn't he change it around? They lost both games. Well, Manchester City are the best team in the league, were the best team in the league by some distance. But Pep has history for this, doesn't he, in the Champions League and in, in seemingly fiddling with something that isn't really broke and, and to the detriment of City's performance. And I think that's that's what we saw last season. I definitely think the Chelsea team under Tuchel are confident of beating anybody where they are right now. I thought their performance against Liverpool with 10 men was quite ominous for the rest of the league, actually. They seem in total control. And you can't help but think Chelsea going to this game's favourites. Yeah, I suppose coaching is a, a bit of a cyclical profession aid. You know, trends are changing, clubs rise and fall. There is a sense that this is Tuchel's time, isn't there? He's probably got the same intensity as Pep, although you know he had his problems at other clubs, didn't he, in terms of personality issues. But he seems to have channeled everything much more positively at Chelsea. Yeah, he's made a dream start. He He's a coach at the very top of his game at the moment. I think that we can all... See that. I, I love the energy of both of them. They're, they're, they've got so much to give, haven't they? They're, they're packed with charisma. 
And I think that's a huge ingredient for managers and for coaches because players, it's not just about tactics. It's not just about you know, getting the team in the right formation or even just picking the right team. It's about extracting the best out of players and getting players to to, to buy into you and want to play for you. And I, th- I think that those two, you know, have it in, in spades. And and players feed off their energy and knowledge. They're, they're both incredible. Tuchel, I would say, is slightly less stubborn than Pep in terms of when he's looking at a game. And they can both see matches and how, you know, what's going on. They can both see it so clearly, so quickly. That's They've got incredible minds. But I think that Pep Guardiola is, is still a little bit stubborn in terms of this is the way I wanted the game to go and this is the way that we're going to go and I think he's longer he takes longer to make a change than Tuchel who can see something's not working and will just rip it up and go to something else we saw that against Spurs so that's the difference right now between those two but make no mistake they're both sensational Mm. do you think Tuchel's in-game management is a particular strength Tony uh, yeah, I think I think he's just made the point that, that that we saw that at the weekend. I also think what what I know about Tuchel from sources is that he doesn't do a huge amount of coaching on the grass. He also is a fan of short and sharp team meetings, uh, so he's <laughs> he, he, that'll he, go down well. Yeah, yeah so um, <laughs> you know, I think we you know all the time I've spent talking to coaches, communication and getting the message across, and understanding that players don't necessarily want to sit around and listen for hours on end to coaches. So I think Tuchel's just got, he's obviously got an incredible talent for getting his message across very quickly, very succinctly. And if you can do that in the build-up to a game, then you can also do that during a game. I also think you look at the Chelsea team now and it just has that has that feel, doesn't it, of the old Chelsea teams where it kind of manages itself to a degree. There's, there's some really big leaders in there. Mendy's been a great signing. I mean, I know, I know he missed the game at the weekend, but he's you know he's just really secure at the back. And then you've got people like Aspilicueta, Jorginho, Kante, obviously Lukaku's back. There's just, there's just a feeling that there's you know some senior pros in there who just don't panic. And I, I go back to that Liverpool game. Everyone went a bit crazy just before half-time, but in the second half, they, they set up... Tuchel made his changes. The players knew what they were doing, and and they just looked in total control, even with ten men. It's, uh, you know, I started the season thinking that City were going to walk the league, and I kind of think that that Chelsea are probably favourites now, which is kind of shows shows a lot of what Tuchel's done. Yeah, in terms of you know, there's a a real faith and experience, isn't there, Aidan? Thiago Silva, you know, we've mentioned on the pod in the past, you know, someone who's nearly thirty seven, playing with the enthusiasm and intelligence that he does, also. He backs his men, doesn't he? Marcos Alonso was on the outside looking in until he turned up. Yeah, yeah, he he was. And he's his own man and he's given him a chance. And he's repaid that, hasn't he? I think think what happened was that Lampard was in a position where he he couldn't buy, but he'd, he'd sort of committed to the... Go young policy, which was which was great at the time, and it was probably the right thing to do at the time. But it did alienate one or two of the senior players, and, and who he could maybe have used more often, as Tuchel has. But what I think Tuchel has done as well is is profit from respect and and from his CV really, because those senior players, what you get with senior players is. They will take notice, I think, of, of of a coach's record. And with Lampard, I think he was always looking to prove himself to them as as a coach. 
but but the senior players at Chelsea know that Tuchel's good and they know he's fantastic and and they want to buy into it because they want to win things. They've, they've not got that long left in their careers, some of these guys. Average age the other day against Spurs was 28. So this is, you know, last two, three years at the highest level for some of them. They want those years to be the most successful and they want to be in the team. So they are pushing themselves like young players, young, hungry, impressionable players were pushing themselves for Lampard. I think that's the key difference. Yeah. What about Guardiola, Tony? As I said, you know, coaches of your stock in trade, is he still regarded as the coach's coach? That's a really good question. I think he's probably still regarded and, and rightly so as a coaching genius. I think there are probably question marks over about his future at Manchester City. What what he you know everything seems to be with Pep. Everything seems to centre on the Champions League, which is kind of crazy because what he's done. I mean, they win the League Cup every season at Cancer. They've won numerous league titles. Only once really been pushed in in that time. By Liverpool, but it does feel, and Aid's kind of touched on it, right? It does feel like he's in his own head. It, it does feel like he wants to win things by doing things in a different way. He wants to seemingly not have a number nine, or he wants to, you know, decide, he doesn't even want to have centre. I mean, he's kind of gone back to centre backs now, but you just, it feels like he's so good, he's achieved so much that it feels like he wants to test himself and give himself and kind of hamstring himself to show how good he is. And I just think you look at Tuchel, he's made the point that he just has that, he's that, got that buying and respect to the players. He, sometimes the noises out of Man City towards the back end of last season that all wasn't necessarily right. The players weren't necessarily believing in what Pep was doing in terms of changing the team, setting up the team. And then we've got the whole kind of chat around the captaincy this season, the kind of, you know, democracy, the vote. It, 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 it just it just seems like, I mean, the wheels aren't coming off. Let's not get crazy about it. But it does just feel like things aren't quite right at Man City in the way that possibly they are at Chelsea at the moment. Yeah, I suppose you know, he is probably temperamentally unsuited to building a dynasty, you know, at City or anywhere else, come to think of it. He's also been a bit cloth-eared, if I could, be, if I could put it like that. <laughs> you know, picking an unnecessary fight with fans... Uh, now, after the Wiccan game in the League Cup this week, he was very strident about saying that City should be able to put their under-23 squad in the Championship or League One. Now, that B-team model is anathema to most people. What was your view on that, Aid? Oh, no. I mean, not having that at all. I despise the, the notion of, of Premier League teams putting under 23 sides in, into the Football League. The Football League is is precious. It's it's what makes English football so great, in my opinion. The depth of talent, you know, the pride that we have in the in the pyramid is is something to cherish and and it would be tainted. It would be spoiled, in my opinion. You just have to look at the, the you know the Papa John's trophy. I mean no one wants no one cares. To, no one cares. <laughs> but 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 the no one turns up to watch the games but the Premier League teams don't pick under-23s. They pick youth teams. Their best players are out on loan, getting experience in the league. I think that's better for them than playing you know, in the league as, as part of an under-23 team personally. It's not better for Manchester City. I get why they would want to do it. They you know, put Man City under-23s in the Championship. What great practice that is for players to to develop but but no I don't I, I, it's not worth ripping up 
you know, over a hundred years worth of, of history to do that, to suit them. So no, I don't like that. And, you know, I don't, I don't, there are quite a few things I don't like that Pepe Guardiola says, but he is a genius. There's no denying that. He's, his mind, his football and mind works on a different plane to almost everybody else. Mm, which, you know, begs the question, who is of the required stature to succeed him? You know, you look at Tuchel in taking his team to another level. He's highlighted the the value of a truly elite coach, hasn't he, Tony? Mm. But by definition, there aren't many of those around. You know, look at what's going on at Barcelona at the moment with you know Coman basically stalking out of a press conference after reading a prepared statement, which is never a good look. You know, Martinez, uh, Xavi have been mentioned as replacements. Who is of that stature that can take over from Guardiola? I mean, the simple answer is no one. I mean, but but I mean, if you think about Tuchel, go back to Chelsea. It's probably quite unfashionable of what I'm going to say here, but you know, Lampard. It's it's easy to get if you're if you've got a problem with your plumbing in your house. Do you want a plumber with one year experience or a plumber with fifteen years experience coming to <laughs> to do it? That's in effect what Chelsea did when when they went from Lampard to Tuchel. I think the. What what Lampard achieved in his time at Chelsea was getting bringing through some young players, finishing top four, getting getting back into the Champions League, and then importantly qualifying from the group stage of the Champions League. There's not you know things weren't great. They didn't have a great run in the league. They were miles behind City, but the fact the fact that he achieved that on the back of one year of coaching experience actually I think is incredibly impressive. Now the question for Lampard is where does he go now, and who knows? But going back to your question. You need somebody with that level of experience, you know, to, to to come in and take on whatever Pep leaves. You need somebody with 10, 12, 15 years coaching experience. You're not going to get anyone like Pep. The question mark then is, is, is do you go, do you go overseas? Do you try and tempt one of these, you know, at the minute young German coaches are, are all the rage and, and, you know, I think we had a we had a, a conference at the coach's voice a couple of weeks ago. Well, Ralph Rangnick spoke. We've spoken about Rangnick before and the influence that he's had over over kind of German coaches. So, do you look to one of those? Can you tempt one of those younger guys? Kind of Marco Rose got is is, is he doing okay. He he might be interesting. But then, do you look to the UK? Do you think someone like Brendan Rodgers is linked to all top jobs? But people have mixed feelings about him. Do the City fans want someone? Like, do they expect somebody of, of of the stature of Pep? Who again we've discussed. Like who who is that? I, I really don't know. It's a real challenge. You know, he's not been there for the length. No. Go on, Abe, go on. I was just going to say, you know, who who I'd love to see there. It probably won't happen. Love to see Bielsa take charge <laughs> of, of, of a team with as much quality as Manchester City, but with his methods, which are you know unique in their own right, aren't they? And and the, the fitness levels, the. The complexity, really. I think. I think City's players could handle the complexity of his of his tactical approach. But yeah, that would be that for me as a neutral would be like a dream appointment. Uh, I'd love. To, I'd uh, love to see. That. Actually, if you think about the City players and the and the kind of the issues that they reportedly had with some of Pep's fiddling with the system towards the end of last season, you're not going to get that with Bielsa, are you? Everyone, he, he's going to stick to his principles and just keep on doing well, what he does. I'll tell you one reason why it won't work because Manchester City have 22 players that are on, you know, gazillion pounds a week that all want to play, and Bielsa only ever really wants to play 11 or 12 players, doesn't he? So that won't, <laughs> it won't work because of that. Yeah. Well, you hit on a, on a point there, Aid, and, you know, one for you, Tony. You know, look across Manchester United, a big squad, 
I suppose the question is now, okay, United are out of the League Cup, which reduces the, the game time for fringe players. He's the Oligonar Solskjaer's got a big squad there. A lot of players will be unhappy. Has he got the maturity to deal with that almost like human chemistry? Another great question. I actually think he does have that. The question mark over Solskjaer is not about whether he's able to keep the role of the squad up or maintain good relationships with players. It's about whether he's got the tactical nose to 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 actually compete at the top end of the table in the really big games. I think United fans will be sick of people pointing to the Europa League final last season, but it, it felt it felt like the team selection was based more on relationships with players than it was on picking a team to tactically win the game. And I mean, they still should have done. But there are there have to be question marks over his ability to really compete at the top end with some of these coaches. I mean, Pogba seems happy, happier than he was under the previous manager, but the noises still keep coming every every so often. I mean, Arayola just chirps away every so often. I don't know what you guys think, but I think when an agent's talking that regularly, he tends to be doing so with the blessing of the player. Yeah, well, when he, I think the latest lament was Pogba has got a cure in, in his heart. So obviously he's wooing Juventus, aid. And I know, you know, we, we're doing exactly what I say we shouldn't do here, but why do we give him airtime for his sales pitches? <laughs> well, he makes headlines, doesn't it? It's Paul Pogba's uh, one of the most charismatic players in the Premier League and, and his future is a, is a constant source of debate. And it, and it is interesting because, in one hand, he looks happy. He clearly likes Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. He's got seven assists this season. He's playing really well, I think, in, you know, in, in, in the main Yet, where does he fit? You know, in the in the big games when when Manchester United need need him to step up, he's actually the problem player, isn't it? It's like, can we trust him to play central midfield, or do we have to crowbar him in on the on the left hand side, where he might produce a moment of magic? So it, it is a real awkward situation for him and for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. It could all have been solved, in my opinion if they'd have invested in a world-class defensive midfielder, because then I just feel that you play Bruno and Pogba either side as sort of roaming number eights, a la Manchester City. That, I think, is what Solskjaer would love to do, but he doesn't have a good enough central midfielder to prop up those two. He just doesn't have one. And, and, And that means that for as long as Pogba is at United or until January at least in regards to the transfer market and who can come in, this problem is going to persist. Yeah. Where does he play and how does he play Jaden Sancho, Tony? I mean, I think in the formation that, that he's currently looking at, you, you play him either, on either side of the, of the number nine of Ronaldo, but he's been there five minutes. Uh, you know, I think, I think obviously there's a huge price tag and, you know, he tore up a lot of trees in Germany. He's a, clearly a very, very good player. It's kind of this, this puzzle, isn't there, with the England England setup? You know, I think people in Germany, German writers, German journalists, German fans, kind of like, why on earth is Sancho? How can Sancho not be starting for England? I think there's a there's a natural caution with English fans because we just haven't really seen that much of him. So we we still, I mean, it's crazy that for, for someone who achieves so much in Germany, you know, a young English guy going going overseas and, and doing so well, which has not 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 been done that often, really. Let's face it, in in recent times or ever, 
so I think it's just a matter of time. Like I, I personally would, would probably start him on the left because I'm a huge fan of Mason Greenwood. I love seeing him cutting off the right. And then, I mean, Ronaldo is obviously going to play. So that's probably what I'd go for. That doesn't leave much room for Marcus Rashford at the moment coming back. Obviously, Cavani is, is there and Anthony Martial, who didn't really do much last night. So that, that, that that's what I'd look at. And I just think, you know, he has to be given time. I think if you look at all... all how how many players come in on on big transfers and hit the ground running immediately in the Premier League? Not many. Mm. Aston Villa are at Old Trafford on Saturday lunchtime. I get the sense they're beginning to it's almost coming together. Aid, what do you think? Coming together in terms of the well, just the, the team, team improving. Yeah, because okay, they've reinvested the the hundred million they got for Grealish quite well. Uh, Leon Bailey is an obvious talent, but he's he seems a bit fragile. When Diaz come come good as well, there's a team beginning to evolve. Is probably what I'm trying to say. Very yeah, clumsily. It's a new team. Yeah, it's a new team. Before it was the Jack Grealish show, wasn't it? And it wasn't anyone's fault that it was the Jack Grealish show. It's just that he was so much better than everybody else that it it kind of had to be. But yeah, no, there, there've been a lot of change. Obviously, John Terry has gone as well, which is you know big personality from within the dressing room. And and yeah, I I like the look of what Dean Smith is building on paper. I really do. I think that all of the signings are excellent. I think that Ings and Watkins could be terrific up front. I really do. That's a great partnership in the making. Bailey's exciting. Buendia, I do think, is ready to to shine in the Premier League. And yeah, look, they, look, they they'll have no fear of this game going to going to Old Trafford. They won at Leicester, Spurs, Arsenal, Leeds, Everton last season, narrowly lost at City, United and Liverpool. They're a good away team, Aston Villa. And um, yeah, there'll be no fear there. Now, I like what they're doing. And and of course, they've brought in a set-piece coach, which I'm sure Tony will be interested in discussing as well, Austin McPhee. Yeah, it's all evolving behind the scenes and on the pitch as well at Villa Park. Yeah, I, I found it very interesting that the way that Dean Smith has, has recycled or just changed up his coaching team, you know, that's something that, well, Fergie used to do, didn't he, on a regular basis. Is that a sign that, that Dean Smith is you know, strategically moving along the pathway? 100%. I, I'm a huge fan of Dean Smith. I'm a, and I'll go back to my point earlier where this guy's not just started in management. He's got a, quite a lot of years behind him now. Obviously, he came through and, and ended up at Brentford, and, and we all know the kind of the, the positivity of the, of the news around the, the Brentford project. Dean Smith was a big part of that. Thomas Frank, of course, was his assistant. So there's, there's kind of continuity there. Thomas Frank hasn't just come in and, and worked miracles. The work was already being done there. And Dean Smith, I think, is had that experience, knowing how to build something and develop something, didn't panic with the whole noise around Grealish. Clearly, it felt felt to me a bit like that Grealish move was, unlike Harry Kane, it felt like one that had been planned and expected for quite a long time and Villa had done the work behind the scenes. I don't know you guys, but the Danny Ings sign was one of those great signings that doesn't seem to happen in football. It seems to come from nowhere. It's like, oh my God, how did that happen? But actually, I I watched the Everton game uh, uh, last weekend and actually... Ings and Watkins didn't didn't dovetail particularly well, I didn't think. And I thought, and they still won the game comfortably. Everton had their own problems. But I thought if Villa are able to, to tee off Everton with there's development there, there's improvement in that team to come. I think someone like Douglas Louise, I think, is an absolutely sensational player. John McGinn's looking back. He never, to me, never quite looked at his best last season, never seemed that fully fit. And then you've got people like 
Tyron Mings as because they also changed formation, of course. And I think, you know, we saw I think we, we saw Daniel Farker play around with the Norwich formation against Liverpool in the League Cup and it, it was borderline disaster. Well it wasn't borderline, it was just a disaster. <laughs> um, but it seems that quietly Dean Smith is building a team that is has a lot of talent, more strength in depth and and is flexible and a team's ability, we talk about the flexibility of coaches, flexibility of formations. Players seem to know what they're doing. And I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Villa. I mean, again, where's the ceiling? Can they break into the top four? Absolutely no chance. Can they Can they be around in that kind of mix, you know, fifth to seventh and eighth? I think, I think they could be. They could be. Granted, you know, a season of, of keeping the big guys fit. Yeah, we see, we see so much aid through the the prism of, of the managers themselves. Now, I'm looking forward to the North London derby on Sunday. Don't know about you. <laughs> Never look forward to it. No. <laughs> you know, with Arsenal under Arteta, there, there did seem to be a big mental hurdle overcome at, at Turf Moor at Burnley. What sort of state are they in going into the, the North London derby on Sunday? You know, obviously they won against AFC Wimbledon in the League Cup. That's three consecutive clean sheets. Where are they? Are they, you know, because it was doom and gloom two weeks ago. Is it not quite as dark? Look, Arsenal weren't as bad as they looked, but they're not all of a sudden an amazing side that, that is going to fly up the league, in my opinion. I'm absolutely not getting carried away. Arsenal have always been Norwich at home. It's happened, you know, they haven't lost to Norwich since, since the first year of the Premier League at home. They always avoid defeat at Burnley. They almost always win there. I think before I was born was the last time they lost at Burnley. So it, I'm not taking that much stock from those two performances. They were they were good results. Very much a work in progress. I think that there's not much swashbuckle to the play. There's not a lot of flair. The combinations that we used to see under Arsene Wenger, they're quite rare at the moment. The, the, the triangles, the, the movement. But it is coming. It is coming. And I'll tell you who the key man is to knit everything together, and that's Thomas Partey. Huge fan of him. I think that he he will hold the team together. The way that he, he, he can protect the back four, he can drop into into his own box to be a centre-half when, when teams cross the ball. I think that's really important. And on the ball, he is so smooth, just ridiculously smooth. And, and he will pick out Arsenal's forward players with better earlier passes. And that, in turn, should help them create more, more opportunities, better opportunities. So for me, keeping Thomas Partey fit is the key to Arsenal's season. I think he's that important. But no, I, I think the team as a whole is lacking a bit of confidence and fluidity. But they'll get there. And and, and the back four as well, while I'm, while I'm on it, getting the first choice back four together is huge. Tommy Yasu, Gabrielle, White, Tierney. That's the back four, and and I hope to see it almost every week. With Ramsdale behind them, yeah, I do. Yeah, I think I think that that Aaron Ramsdale's played three matches and has been excellent in all of them. He's kept clean sheets in all of them. He looked really comfortable wearing the badge. Some players can be a bit nervous, can't they? Stepping up and because of the pressure, but he looks really confident. We know he's a good shot stopper. Yeah, I think that. Well, he's got the shirt. It's as simple as that. He's got the shirt until until he loses it, in my opinion. Something's gone on, I suspect, behind the scenes with Burnt Leno because I didn't see enough in his performances to suggest that he needed to be dropped. But they've made that call and I think everyone's pretty comfortable with it. 
Apart from Leno, of course. <laughs> I mean, how, hey, sorry to sorry to do your job, Mike, but like you look, you, you talk about that that back four, like mm. as that kind of this is now the unequivocal first choice. Mm. We've barely seen Tommy Asu really. Gabriel's, no. I mean, he's better than the other centre backs at the club. But how? I mean, how good is he? I mean, do you look at that back four plus Ramsdale and think that's really that's really a defence that can that can keep the top four out? In, in, in the here and now, I think it's a defence that's an improvement on the previous incarnations, but it's not a top four defence yet. But what I will say is that Ramsdale is young, Tomiyasu is 22, the two centre-halves are 23, Tierney, I think, is 24. So these guys have got what I think are the best years of, their, of players' careers in the next three or four years. So what I'd like to see... Providing they they do their jobs properly, is is that, that unit develop together, and and I think they'll all improve as players together as well. So yeah, it's not going to be Chelsea's defence just like that. It's just not going to be. Arsenal don't have that resource at the moment, do they? To go out and buy a world class defender, they have to improve them. Yeah, I find it interesting you know, listening to Arteta talk about Odegaard's leadership qualities now. Is that something that has been lacking in his squad to date, do you think, Tony? I mean, it's been lacking in Arsenal's squad for years, hasn't it? I mean, we, 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 did, we did some, some content with Freddie Lundberg recently and, and obviously, obviously we got him on the tactics board talking about the Invincibles, why wouldn't you? But he went, he went back to the, the squad that he came into. You know, that, that, and and this, was a, this was a constant, I mean, Abe knows more about this than me, but it seemed to be a constant theme in the latter Wenger years that he just didn't have leaders in that, certainly in the midfield. And when you think about... The, you know the team that he that, that he inherited when he came in. Obviously, there was a famed back four and David Seaman, but then you know Vieira. I mean, Petit was. I mean, people forget Emmanuel Petit was hard as nails. He was a lovely footballer, and then obviously Gilberto came in. But and, and since probably Arteta himself, have they had have they had that real leadership in midfield? And when you think about someone like Aubameyang being club captain, that just doesn't. That doesn't. It's not Roy Keane, is it? Just doesn't strike me as someone who's going to come in. And Odegaard again is a lovely player, and I don't. I haven't as yet seen kind of the kind of leadership potential that you want from a team that's going to challenge the top teams. Yeah, I'm not convinced. Mm. What about Spurs? Aid looking across North London. Nuno has a, a reputation as a cautious coach. Is is that reputation manifesting itself? Do you think? Um... Yeah, I think if that's your if that's your sort of go to, if that's your base, and it was at Wolves, wasn't it? Then 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 you, yeah, he's not going to change. Obviously, the expectations at Spurs are higher. They need to score more goals. They need to win more games than he did at Wolves. But but I think he's going to do that by using talent at his disposal, but giving them a defensive framework to sort of flourish. With. I think that's been the key. He's gone in and Spurs were a bit of a mess at the back. And the last two games, they've also been a bit of a mess at the back. But but during pre-season and the first few games, that, that they did show signs of promise. He is a great organiser, Nuno. There's no doubt about that. He can make it really difficult for opposition teams in the way that his, the, the way that his uh, players cover the spaces, work ever so hard as well. So, yeah, they're, they're going to be solid counter-attacking side under Nuno. That, that's how I see them. And, and given the players that they've got, because they, let's face it, they don't have many creative players, do they? It's a team of real pace merchants, hard-working midfielders, 
you know, the, 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 and Cain, and Cain, and Cain is the str- is the goal getter and the creator. They don't really have that many people to to make chances. That for me means that they're limited in the way that they're going to play this season. It's going to have to be transitions, come alive, hurt teams. They're almost they're, almost they're almost yeah. the reverse of what you said about Arsenal, aren't they? They they weren't yeah. as good as their first three results suggested, and nor yeah. they're quite <laughs> as bad as their subsequent results yeah. have suggested. But again, I look at both teams. You, I don't. You never learn talking about the weekends game. You never learn that much about either team from the North London derby in terms of the season ahead. But I just I just look at them and just think that they look this season they look like also runs already. And the problem that Nuno has is that the fans. The, they demand a certain amount of style and elan, and he never, he was never going to bring that. I think when they played, you know, the way they played City at the start of the season, where they just countered, they had those three guys up top with loads of pace. They they put them up top, they left them there, they countered with real pace, which was quite exciting. But it was against Manchester City where you can do that. When you go and play against teams who sit in a low block and say, "Well, we're not going to let you counter attack," then that's the problem that that Nuno has with, with Tottenham. And you just look at, and again, you know, that was that 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 win against Man City was was done without Kane. You know, he's not slow, but he brings something different, and you're not going to be able to counter attack with the pace that you would if Kane's in the team. And it's just, it's just, it's just not right, is it? It's just it, like you're leaving him out, Tony. You're not leaving him out. Oh no, I'm not leaving him out. <laughs> Certainly wouldn't leave him out. But um... but rea- reality, Tony is is beginning to bite with him, isn't it? It must do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and you just you wonder, you wonder what the future holds for Kane and Spurs both this season and beyond. It, they they haven't recovered from from Pochettino's departure. They haven't they haven't replaced. They've never in my mind they've never replaced Christian Eriksen who was the creative heartbeat of that team. And, you know, and Dombele promised much. It isn't quite that same kind of creative force, but provides maybe that little bit of, of kind of star quality. But have we seen it often enough? Does Nuno trust him? Obviously not. Mourinho didn't really. And so where is that? Where is that flair coming from? Where is that creativity to actually, the guile to break down teams? It just, it, it, to me, it doesn't look like it exists. And I think we saw last season, didn't we? It was Kane dropping in, Son running in behind. And against a team like Southampton, he just refused to even try and do anything to stop that. It was brilliant, but against a lot of other opposition, if you set up properly, you know you can you can you can deal with that. And you know, I, I I do wonder where we where we're going to go with Spurs. It's going to be. I'm really looking forward to the game at the weekend. Actually, I really have no idea what to expect. No, I suspect low scoring. Neither <laughs> team has has been has been particularly free flowing, have they? <laughs> so yeah, I, I think this might be a, a one goaler either way. Or maybe yeah. none. Yeah. Well, what about a team close to your heart, Tony Liverpool? You know, we spoke about them earlier in the week, and you know, we saw a team coming together, you know, regaining its mojo, whatever phrase you want to use. Interesting game at Brentford. Uh, Tiago will be missing. Is he a bit worryingly fragile for you? I mean, yeah. I guess there was a lot of talk when he signed that this was a guy who missed quite a lot of football. And he was—he's one of these guys who, he's almost, his reputation almost increases when he's not playing because we see these flashes of brilliance. I mean, his cameo against Everton, before uh, I forget who it was, tried to kill him last season, was just beautiful. But he is—you uh, know—the question marks over how he fits into Liverpool's kind of—you know—the whole kind of all-action style. Does he have those legs? I mean, when you watch him track back, it's actually—I find it almost enjoyable because he just—he just looks like he's. He's running in a way that is different to everybody else because he just isn't that athletic. 
But then, yeah, he does seem quite afraid. I mean, I love watching him. And, you know, last season wasn't about Thiago for Liverpool. It was about everything else going on around him. My instinct, and I hate to say it, but my instinct is that Liverpool will probably always be a better team when they've got three all-action midfielders who can get around the pitch very quickly. And that probably isn't Thiago. So much as it's a shame that he's not fit, I just I, I look at the team as it is and I think that, you know, if, if, if everyone was fit, we saw at the start of the season, Harvey Elliott was probably being picked ahead of him. Mm. Well, and, and, you know, you look at you know, Joel Matip, there's a similar issue there with, with you know, injuries jumping up and biting him on a fairly regular basis. In view of that aid, a potential central defensive partnership of Van Dijk and Ibrahima Kanate. Does that work for you? Well, they're both quick, aren't they? And that, that would suit the style in terms of, of pressing high up the pitch. And we know that leaving a high line has, has caused Liverpool problems in, in, in the past, especially last season, on numerous occasions. So, so, no, it's a good option. Is it the best partnership? Not in my opinion. I really like... The Van Dyke Matip partnership, actually, I really like it. To to tall guys that are, that are giants at set pieces, and don't ignore that because Liverpool obviously have, have been dynamite from them, haven't they, so far this season? And I think that's because you know they're sending up those two plus what they've already got. I just think that they're they're a really graceful pairing that that click. Obviously, Gomez is 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 in the mix as well. So look, that yeah, it's it's a total turnaround, isn't it, from last year where they had no centre halves. It's yeah, and the poor Nathaniel Phillips. I mean, he, <laughs> I mean, I mean you got to feel, feel for him because you know he did he did, he did a, a sterling job at times last season, but but he's he's fifth choice, isn't he now? Mm. What about the lessons of Brentford's development, Tony? You know, it's I think it's significant that there seem to be few doubts about their ability to adapt and survive in the Premier League, which is the contrast to say Norwich. They look pretty forlorn already. It's an innovative system. What do you make of it? I really like it. I really like Thomas Frank. I think this is a this is a project that's been going on for some time, and it's interesting to compare it to Norwich because we, we've we've done some work with Norwich in the academy. Norwich is a really really well run club, mm. and the key word for Norwich is sustainability, and their model is bring players through sell players from the club, bring more players through, sell players from the club. And it's not about being a Premier League club. It's about being a a well-run, sustainable club. And actually, I'll go back to Brentford in a minute, but actually, if you look at the Norwich team right now, it's probably 1-11, their first choice. It's probably weaker than it was two years ago. They don't have Buendia's obviously gone. We all, we, I think, we all agree he's a lovely player. He's gone to Villa. Even last season, they had Oliver Skip, who was an, a complete dynamo in midfield, and they haven't really got that. They've got Billy Gilmore this season, who hasn't really hit the ground running, struggled a bit, and he's probably a slightly different different kind of player, a lovely player. But if they're not dominating possession, and they, 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 defensively they just don't look good enough to me. Whereas it feels like Brentford, this is a long term project that has been based not around being, well, obviously being run sustainable, but being a Premier League club, being ready to be in the Premier League, probably not going up the season before, in a strange way, probably helped them a little bit. They were able to consolidate, develop, bring bring more players through, get a bit more experience. We know they sell players. Ollie Watkins is a great example, but they just look so well-managed, well-run, well-coached. And I I, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm with you guys. I, I, don't, I don't see them struggling. 
And Thomas Frank, Mike, has, has adapted the tactics according to the opposition. In the Championship, they were pretty much an attack-minded possession team. Lovely build-up play, use the wings. That, that, yeah, they could go direct at times, but, but they were by and large a possession-based front foot side. They are now disruptors. That's why they're, they're brilliant at it. They've, they've become, over the course of this summer, a side that, that isn't really that bothered about building up play, keeping possession for long periods. They've become a team that focus on shape, working hard to, to close down the opposition, force mistakes. And then when they get it, they go, f- they, they go long to, to Tony and Embremo. Who are who are a massive handful for anyone, as, as we saw in the opening night. So they've pretty much ripped up Plan A and gone for a new Premier League Plan A. It's 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 brilliant, and it and it that's what Norwich haven't done. Daniel Farker wants to play the Norwich way in the Championship in the Premier League. If we go down doing it, no no worries. We'll, we'll continue doing our thing. Brentford have adapted to the level. Yeah, when you think of Farker, he's suffered 15 straight Premier League defeats, you know, albeit a promotion season in between. You must have to have a strategic commitment to the manager for the managers to survive that sort of run. Norwich are at Everton at the weekend, Tony. Rafa Benitez, they've always they've been murmurings from day one, to put it mildly. Loss in the League Cup at QPR didn't help his case. You know, I know it's daft to talk about must-wins at this time of season, but really they could do with a win on at the weekend, couldn't they, on Saturday? Yeah, I think they'll probably get it. I mean, the one thing you can guarantee about Rafa is that he just doesn't listen to the murmurings. I mean, I always go back. I, I always go, he just doesn't care. Which, I, I, I mean, I absolutely, obviously I love the guy for personal reasons but with his Liverpool connection. And I think those murmurings are always going to go. But I mean, he went, he went to Chelsea where they absolutely despise him yeah. and he did a really good job for them and didn't, didn't, didn't care what the fans thought. I just think he, he's, he's, he's made, he's made the right noises since going in there. I think he's, he's behaved, you know, respectfully. He's got, you know, obviously Duncan Ferguson's in there and he, you know, he's worked with him and seems to have him on board, but they just you know, when you get key players out, Calvert Lewin, Richarlison, obviously James Rodriguez is is not really there in his in his heart and spirit anymore, is he? But, but it's Rafa. He just you know, obviously the, you look at kind of Mourinho and the question marks about whether he's still got it. And you know, Rafa's from that kind of era, and he's thinking, oh, is he is he a bit behind the times? Obviously, a defensive minded coach. You know, again, kind of transition based rather than possession based. But I just he just he's just a guy who gets the job done. He is, and they might finish seventh or eighth this season, but that's still an improvement on last season. And the question again for Everton is, what what do you want to be as a club? What what are their aspirations? The fans would want more than that, but right now, where are they and what can they achieve? And I'm not sure they can do much more than that. No, I think they've got to look a bit deeper, haven't they, in terms of, I think it's £267 spent recently in the transfer market. There's a lot of people looking at Marcel Brands, who's the sporting director there, and saying, well, are you doing your job, chum? Fair point, fair comment. I think the their best player is someone that that came in on a very low fee from from the lower leagues and Dominic Calvert Lewin uh, at a young age, and I think there's so much revolves around around him really. And and, and yeah, I would, I would last weekend that they were they were torn apart by Villa, but they were really weakened, severely weakened. And, and I think until they get some of the key men back, it'd be hard to judge. I actually have, I've quite enjoyed 
their their sort of fast transitions and counter-attacking football. I love the fact that, that the wingers, Gray and Townsend, have been revitalised under Rafa. That's been brilliant to see. But yeah, no, I think Marcel Brands, all eyes are on him. He has sanctioned moves for players that are no better than mid, mid-table and he's spent over £200 million pounds doing it. And, and, and for that reason, I think that that, that he, he might end up losing his job. They haven't got those young players that, that they can develop, that are really talented, that they can develop. They haven't bought those kind of players. They've bought players at the top of their own values. And that, I think, was a, was a big mistake. Yeah. Burnley, Tony, they're at Leicester on Saturday. Uh, Sean Dyche has just committed himself to a new contract at the club. This is probably an unfair question, but is it a, almost that's a tacit admission that he's limited because of you know what I would consider to be an unfair reputation? The short answer to that is yes, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, at least in my view. Again, it, it's a, it, it, at the risk of repeating myself, he just reminds me a little bit of Benitez. He'll just get the job done. They'll finish somewhere between 14th and 16th this season, 17th maybe. They won't go down. They'll be really difficult to play against for the majority of the teams. They'll have some bad results. They'll look like they're in trouble. They'll pull a few out and, that, and that'll be that and they'll go again. He's a very, very, very good manager. He's a very good... He knows what he wants. He knows the kind of players he wants. He knows the start of football he's going to play. Nobody likes playing against those strikers. They just they, they just do whoever it is. But um, you know, Chris Wood was was the, the main troublemaker last season. Ashley Barnes uh, kind of when he was fit, and obviously they've got Matteo Vidra and, and others. But uh, it, uh, it, the, the the question mark with Sean Dyche every season is is it is it coming to an end? Is it is it is it done? Is is it all going a bit stale? And everyone thinks yes, it is, and then it isn't. So I'm perfectly prepared for exactly the same to happen this season. The new contract, you're probably right. Bit of protection from the club, maybe thinking that you know, a bit like bit like players sign up to a longer contract, and if they do go, there's a bit of compensation for us. But he's never linked with any of the any of the jobs that come up anymore, really, is he? You don't really see if you know if if, if Rafa went, for example, from Everton, you you really wouldn't see Sean Dyche linked with it. So yeah. it's it's perfect for Burnley. I just think he's he's it's certain players, certain managers just fit a place, don't they? And I just think he is perfect for Burnley. Given the, given the style that he, that he's gone that he's used at Burnley, it it just would be too much of a of a gamble. Even if he made a really convincing case that I would adapt the style and be, become more entertaining with better players at my disposal, even if he made that case, it would be an almighty gamble from any any of the sides that want to play a very different style to to appoint him. I just don't see him anywhere other than Burnley. You know, it would be Watford, Palace, Newcastle, maybe. That, that, that I can't, I can't think of a Premier League team that would approach him. But that's not because he's not good at his job, because he's brilliant at his job. So, but that's just where he finds himself, I guess. He's typecast, isn't he? I mean, for, actually, one of a better it's phrase. The same point as with Pep at City, isn't it? Who follows him? Like the the worry is not where Deutsch goes next; it's where Burnley go next. Yeah, as and when yeah, Deutsch goes, if he ever leaves. But it's that that has worked. The chemistry of that manager at that club has worked so well. It's hard to see who follows him. What about Wolves? You know, you look at we talk about managers or head coaches or whatever the, whatever term that they answer to. 
I look at Wolves as a, a fantastic blue-collar club, great support, fantastic stadium. Yeah, I don't know what its identity is anymore. Is that typified by the appointment of Bruno Lager, who doesn't really seem to have pulled up too many trees? I think give this guy a chance, uh, Bruno Lager. That, that's my response, really, to that. I, I don't know... I thought in the first few weeks, even though they lost their games, that they were that it was a different Wolves. It was a much more fun Wolves. Certainly more ambitious, more more, more attack minded, less constrained by tactical, you know, instruction. Perhaps I, I liked what I was seeing, but they just couldn't score. I think I think it's a really hard job at the moment because they've got Jota was massive for them gone. Raúl Jiménez just the, the the main man and and he, he isn't the same at the moment he is taking his time to to come back and and Traore for all his speed that, that doesn't deliver those those goals and assists does he just doesn't and 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 arguably their their best current player and I, in my opinion he is their best current player Pedro Neto is out out long term so i think it's a terrible time to take over wolves and that but but this guy he, he he might be good. I I think he's different to Nuno in terms of what he wants from the team, and that, and that for me is what they needed. They lost their first three games one nil, didn't they? And actually, in I would say in five of the six halves in those games, they were the better team, and they just couldn't score. I mean, there was a crazy stat that they had more shots on target than any other team in the Premier League. He just hadn't scored. They then got the win. The worry for me was watching them against Brentford where they were, they were really second best and, and they looked and their success under Nuno was built on a really, really strong defence. Again, transitions, counter-attacking at pace and, and and built on a number nine who for me was probably was as good as anyone in the league in that position, Jimenez, before his injury. And he, he's right, he definitely isn't, uh, who knows what he will be, what he can be, but he definitely isn't where he was before. The problem against Brentford, they looked defensively, they looked like there were holes. And if that's going to continue to happen and they can't convert the chances at the other end, then they're going to be in trouble. I, I'm with Adash. I've quite liked what I've seen in places. And I think it's too early to, to question Bruno Larger, but you get a few more 1-0 defeats or a few more Brentford repeats and, and you know, noises are going to happen, aren't they? Yeah, we'll go from Nuno to who knows, I suppose. <laughs> Just to bring it all together, chaps, you know, we've spoken a lot about coaches and managers in this edition Something caught my eye from Julian Nagelsmann. Just like your thoughts on it, please. This quote, American football is much more technologically advanced than football. The quarterback has an earpiece to hear his coach. We absolutely need that. Football must stop hiding behind tradition and revolutionise itself. Bold words. What do you reckon about them? Um, Aid, first. Look, I, I, I have a lot of respect for Nagelsmann's coaching, for his CV, what he's achieved for someone so young. But his taste in suits is rotten. <laughs> and so is this idea. <laughs> it's terrible. I mean, earpieces, ear they make sense for coaches. Of course they do. Because you can't hear much during the course of the game. But football's a very different sport to American football. It's far less pre-planned. It's not programmable. And too much information, I think... Certainly in my case, when I used to play, too much information stifled me. I just felt like I inhibited. I don't think that's progress. I really don't. I think there are other ways we can progress the, the sport, but not this. It's, I mean, football's pure. You want spontaneous brilliance. 
you, the game is about players. The game is about players producing moments of magic. It's not about coaches micromanaging every single situation on the pitch. So, Julian, bin that idea, please. It's terrible. Mm. What about you, Tom? Uh, uh, absolute nonsense. I mean, there's a few things to say about it. One is that American football, one, they have big helmets that mean that the fear pieces don't fall out and yeah. you're talking only coach to quarterback. I mean, American football is a team sport, but the importance of the quarterback is so unique in the world of sport. Who are you going to, who are you going to, who are you going to put the earphones in, in football? You know, the centre mid, the centre back, the keeper, all of them. He just, he just screaming at the whole team all the time. Like, and also the, the other thing about it that I think is, is a, is a kind of just, he's just kind of prodding a bear, isn't he? But football is progressing. Football is innovating. What what I found interesting this week was uh, two things, I should say. One is that when, when Steve Cooper was first linked with the Nottingham Forest job, you get used, don't you, to coaches going into new jobs and taking their traditional backroom staff with them, whether that's an assistant coach or a, a, you know, a doctor or whatever. First name that was mentioned was a guy called Steve Rands, who's been, who was his lead analyst at Swansea. Like The importance of the analyst is now... It's, it's almost like he's the first person that a manager goes to. You talk about you talk about kind of communication and, and the messages that players have. We did a we had a webinar with Jack Ross, the Hibs manager, earlier this week, and he talked about his relationship with his analyst, and he said that his analyst would deliver him from a game between or, or ahead of a game ten to thirteen minutes of footage of analysis of the opposition. He would then Jack would then work with his, with his analyst to distill that down to between six and eight minutes, and that would be what the players got. But there's a week of there's a week of work in that. Like go back 10, 15 years, that didn't exist. This is where football is modernizing. You don't need to hear pieces in players' ears in players' ears. <laughs> it's uh, I just I think it probably I, I wonder whether he was just having a bit of fun with it really, but it's definitely nonsense for me. I tell you what used to happen at Arsenal. You used to walk in on a match day, you see the team sheet pinned up on the wall, and then you see the other team pinned up on their wall with I would say two lines max about that about each player strengths weaknesses and that and that was that was all that we were fed so prog- progress is being made uh, undoubtedly the, the analysts are fantastic yeah well the, the game as a whole should never stand still should it and you know, there are as tony said there innovations happening across english football in recruitment player development and of course there are more specialist coaches than ever you know, like the guys, I hate to think that football could ever become a pre-programmed game like Gridiron. I still believe in instinct and emotion. And there has to be room for individualism as well as innovation. Hope you agree with me. In the meantime, thanks to Tony and Adrian for their insight. And thank you for listening to the Football Writers Podcast. Podcast.